Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Smarts and Strikes Podcast. We cover every bump, every spot, and chat with all the talent around the world of wrestling. Here's your host, Bill Matz, former WWE referee Kevin Keenan, and Eric Golden. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Smarks and Stripes. My name is Bill Matz. I am joined by my co-host, former WWE official Kevin Keenan. What's up? My, uh, my, well, Mike's on the line, but what's up, Bill? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Uh, that's, that's what we have. That's what makes this episode so special is we are joined by WWE superstar Mike Kanellis. How are you today, Mike? I am fantastic. What's up, dude? What, what up, Kev? How are you, bud? Long time no talk, man. I'm doing well. I hope you are. Oh, I'm doing great, man. Life is good. I cannot. Well, I could complain, but nobody wants to hear that. Uh, you might be able to do a little complaining here in just a little bit. <laughs> yes, please. Please complain. You know, the Internet's never happy unless other people are unhappy. Exactly. I mean, they don't even like me when I'm happy. So <laughs> well. well, that's everyone's <laughs> least favorite thing is another happy person. Come on. No yeah. one wants to hear yeah. that. Uh, no, so, no. Mike, I hear that a condition of this interview is uh, we have to talk some Patriots first. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm sure you guys probably want to talk to them now that they just beat the Cowboys. But Well, that, yeah, uh, I mean, that's all fine and good that they beat the Cowboys, but I'm just always going to remember the Super Bowl. How'd, how, how'd that feel for you, by the way? I don't know that we spoke around Super Bowl time. Which one? The one that the Patriots just won last oh, year that you guys didn't make? Ah, that's the, you know, we got eliminated in the second round of the playoffs there, Ben. I don't, oh, I don't recognize anything that happened after February 4th, 2018, so uh, gotcha. the NFL okay, went yeah. under. The NFL no, went know, under, as far as I'm concerned. What, but you know what's funny about that 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 Super Bowl with the Eagles and the Patriots is I actually thought the Eagles were the better team. I I did I thought they were going to beat the Patriots going in. Oh well, uh, you know, you got to lose every now and then just to keep well, it interesting. And and plus I love the story of Nick Foles. Like I I dig that. I love that he came out of you know he was a backup and he came and he led the team. Like I thought that was awesome. So like was I hurt? Yeah, because I'm a Patriots fan. But at, but then seeing Nick Foles do it, I was like, all right, that's pretty badass. It's got a little bit of a Tom Brady-esque st- Obviously, Brady went on to become the GOAT, but, I mean, right. he started out as the backup to Bledsoe and comes in, wins the freaking Super Bowl, and, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I just I love those stories. I, I feel like I can I can relate to them. I can latch onto them. And, like, even though they beat my team, it's, it, it just, it, it's always fun to see for me. There will never be a New England game where Philadelphia is up either on the Patriots, Celtics, the Red Sox. I don't care who it is. There's two people that get texts, Mike Bennett and Eddie Edwards, without <laughs> fail. All right, Mike, you've had, you've had your chance to gloat, buddy, but uh, there's, there's a lot to get into, you, uh, into with you. Uh, and it starts right here. We kind of have a bit of an exclusive with you. Uh, you haven't really done any interviews, to my knowledge, since back when you asked for your release uh, from the WWE on October the 14th. There's many reasons, really, that can be cited, but can you go through the mindset behind asking for your release and what ultimately made you say, I want out, I got to get out of here? Yeah, you know, and and me and you have talked about this on a personal level, and we've been friends for a long time, but, like, uh, for me, it was all, it was all personal. It was, it was, it had nothing to do with the company. Since the minute I got to WWE, they they treated me great. They treated my wife great. They treated my daughter great. They treated me great. Um, You know, 
when I came out and said that I had an addiction, there was no negativity from anybody, just constant support. Um, and so for me personally, having been almost two and a half years sober, it got to the point where I started reflecting on my past and what I did. And it became very hard for me to almost sit and reflect on the fact that I blew four years of my life doing drugs. And now I felt like my mind was clear. My head is clear. And I just wanted to work. I just want to wrestle. I just want to work. Like I feel like I could do and have my best matches right now. And it's extremely difficult when there's so many people on the roster and you just don't get that opportunity. And like I said, everybody wants to come at me and come at me negatively and say that I'm mad at, I'm not mad at anybody. Like I'm genuinely not. I don't. And, and if I, if WWE called me tomorrow and was like, we're going to put you on TV, I do it. I'm not mad. I just want to work. And I just want to work a lot. I want to, I want to be able to go home and tell my daughter that, you know, daddy put in the time, daddy put in the effort. It's incredibly difficult for me to go on social media and preach that you have to work hard. You have to work your ass off and then not do it myself. And so I, I'm a worker. I've always been a worker. And now I'm kind of at the point where I just want to work and work and work. And I'll go wherever that opportunity exists. So, Mike, uh, we all want to see you. I think Kevin and I, but like, I want to see you work. Uh, I became a fan of yours uh, at the end of your ROH run in 2015. Uh, saw you in Impact. I want to see you work. You want to work. Why do you think you haven't got that opportunity? And why haven't they granted your release if they're not interested in using you, do you think? Well, I think, honestly, again, I just go back to it. There's so many talented guys on the roster right now. So, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm not, and I'm not saying I wouldn't be a good fit. But what I'm saying is if those guys are getting the opportunity and they're doing their job and they're successful at it, then they're not going to necessarily look for next man up. You know, there's no need. You, you hope it's next man up when maybe, you know, you don't hope that someone goes down, but you hope that you're ready if someone goes down. But I, I just, the, the wrestling right now is just loaded with talent. Like, I just keep seeing people talk about it. Like, it's, it's the best I've ever seen in any company, on independent, on any national company. It's just loaded. Like, everyone's just really friggin' good right now. And I, I just, I think that's why. I just think my opportunity hasn't existed. And, you know, I'm 34. I know that I probably have, like, 10 or 12 years left in me. So I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to waste them. So, and, you know, as far as not giving me my release, I think it's like, like anywhere, like the Patriots aren't going to trade or release a player that they think that the Jets are going to pick up because they think, you know, like, and I think we have to think of it like that. Like, it's not a negative. It's just, that's just, that's just how it works. It works in sports. It works in, in wrestling. So last week, uh, Triple H was asked about this exact, uh, not necessarily you specifically, but this exact situation uh, during the, uh, t- uh, the media call for uh, NXT TakeOver War Games. I'm going to read you the quote, and it's a little long, so bear with me. Uh, he was asked about talents asking for the release and WWE enforcing those contracts, Bill, as opposed to letting talents walk. And he said, there's a lot of things, and when you get to the bottom of it, I don't understand people airing the issues as opposed to going and talking to them. If I, he being Triple H, have an issue with talent, I don't go on Twitter. I go to the talent. There are some people out there who are getting clicks and trying to break the internet, and I watch guys do it all the time. Some guys want to mess with people and get a ton of buzz. For the company, there are moments in time where people get frustrated and they say some stuff. Just like in any long-term relationship, you say some stuff, you come back, say you didn't mean it. It's just not how you should handle business. Everyone has phones, and they should meet like professionals. 
professionals. We are trying to change the business and make it more professional. Mike, given your situation and where you sit right now, what goes through your mind when you hear a quote like that? You know, uh, honestly, not a whole lot because I, I get it. You know, I have a brand. He has a brand. I, I get it. Like, again, I have no negativity or animosity, and that's kind of like where my life has, has pushed me. Like, I, I get it. Um, and I also think we live in a different time. I think we live in a, a, a social media time that we all kind of have to adapt to, um, which necessarily wasn't there in the past. Yeah. And I think companies in general and, and, and CEOs and, and, and anyone in general is learning that you, there's a power in social media that wasn't there before. Um, and so I get it. It, I'm not mad. I, I have a great relationship with Triple H. I, I talk to him. I've brought up my issues. He's like, I get it. So I, I, I understand why people might be upset. But me personally, I, I, I got too much going on. I really don't. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Mike, I just want to I want to talk about your WWE run a little because I was excited when you came in. I believe it was Money in the Bank 2017. You come in and you're working with Sami Zayn. You're doing the Mike Kanellis act with uh, Maria's last name. And it kind of was like a cold debut. I mean, I knew who you were, but I don't know how familiar the general audience was with you. Do you think maybe, speaking of Triple H's brand, a start in NXT would have been a little hotter for you? Do you think that could have uh, maybe helped you take off a little from the beginning? Yeah, you know, I think retrospect is always great. I think hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe or maybe not. And I, I, I think about this a lot. I always constantly go back and I think to myself, well, had I just gone to NXT, maybe things would have been different. But then I think, like, yeah, but they pushed me right to the main roster, which was really cool. There's not many guys they did that with. There's, so, not, there's not many in recent memory they've done that with. Yeah, and so I kind of I wear that like a badge of honor, where I'm like, yeah, maybe I came out and it was cold and I fell flat on my face. But I, again, I, I've, I've started, and maybe I sound like this friggin' guru. I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> you know, I've started, I've started taking so much personal responsibility and accountability for my actions. And, like, People might say, well, maybe WWE screwed up my debut. Maybe, but I look at it as I screwed it up. I came to WWE. I was out of shape. I wasn't prepared. I was addicted to drugs. Like, maybe they lost faith in me right, like, right out of the gate, and then I had to earn it back. So I wish it went better. Maybe in uh, retrospect, I should have gone to NXT and kind of – but I wasn't ready, period. So I don't know if NXT would have been any better. So looking at everything now from where, from where we all sit, in a perfect world, Mike, how does this end? Does – does Mike Canales become Mike Bennett again elsewhere? Or, you know, are you prepared to sit until the end of your contract? So people keep asking me this, and, and I, I get it. But personally, again, I go back to personal accountability. If WWE were to call me tomorrow and say, we're going to put you on TV and we want to work, work you, great. I'll show up and I'll do my job. If they say, nope, you signed five years, you're going to sit at home. Okay, cool. I own that. And then I'll figure out something else to do with my life. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, just do this and do that. And I, it doesn't doesn't do me any good and that's why i started doing like motivational speaking and going to indie shows and talking to the guys in the locker room because if i'm not going to do anything i'm going to give back and i'm going to do whatever i can to help younger guys out because i can worry all day i can sit on my couch or i can just go and be active so again it just comes down to accountability 
Mike, I really appreciate your your social media presence and this positive energy that you put out and this personal accountability you've mentioned several times now. Your motivational speaking, uh, the addiction that you uh, you went through, that whole journey. You're very open about it. Uh, you've been sober. You mentioned two and a half years. Kind of walk me through the uh, the situation from when you first came in and then you, you get that cold open and it, it's over before it really even gets a chance to take off yeah. to to now. Like, what was that journey? for you personally it, it's uh i think and i always tell this to my wife i think i've learned more in the last two and a half years than i have like my entire life because wwe was always my end game always my goal the dream you know everyone has it but then when i fell flat on my face it was kind of like all right you gotta pick up the pieces and you gotta figure this out you got to wwe you kind of screwed it up you failed so you're either going to learn from this experience or you're going to mope and you're going to become moody and you're going to be uh, essentially maybe go back and be addicted to drugs. But I turned it into a motivator. You know, um, there were guys backstage that helped me out. Like I always talk, Rowan always was someone I drove with and Connor and they always like looked out for me, Connor from the Ascension. They were my buddies. And like, it helped me grow as a man, not just in wrestling and not just in my mindset, but as a man. And it, 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 it was the best thing because I think like a month after I got sober, uh, we found out we were pregnant with, with our daughter. So it was like, I'm not a religious man, but it was almost like this heaven sent, like you, you got to get your life together. Um, but I feel like a different person. And like, I'm going to keep going back to this. I truly believe that when you start holding yourself accountable for everything, you just become a happier person because you can look at yourself and you can say, oh, well, I screwed that up. How can I fix it? Let me learn from that. Let me move forward. And so this journey in the last two and a half years, you know, I want my WWE run to be better, but at the, at the, at the end of the day, personally, and as a man, I've learned, and I, I think it's been a success. So let's stick with that with just for a second, Mike. You've recently started posting about uh, doing some motivational speaking, and I even believe you did one a few days ago. You just told us before we came on you're doing one uh, tonight. Why yeah. is that so important to you? And when you go out to speak, whether it's, you know, wherever it is, uh, right now it's uh, in wrestling locker rooms and wrestling shows, uh, wherever they will have you, uh, what is your message? You know, my, my big message is just it's owning all your own crap. It's owning your personal responsibility. I feel like it's important to me because I feel like I have a time right now where I'm kind of sitting at home. And I have, I think, I have the ability to connect and reach to people that may not, other people may not have, especially in the wrestling industry. Um, but even outside the wrestling industry, I think because I've, I've gone on this path, I have a different kind of a story because I didn't come from a bad background. I didn't come from, you know, I wasn't living on the streets. My parents were great parents. They still are. You know, I came up in like a middle-class family, but I think to some degree, there's a lot of, problems with drugs with people that came from middle-class families and i feel like i can connect to those people you know not just in wrestling but in life in general especially with the opioid crisis and everything that's going on now and i almost feel like i have a responsibility to share my story and show people that you know if you just focus on certain things whether it be positivity or personal accountability or any of this stuff that i'm preaching that you know life isn't all that bad and you can pull yourself out from whatever you're going through yeah, Mike, that really hits home for me. I mean, I like half my graduating class when you mentioned the uh, the opioid crisis going on right now. I mean, I, I get different uh, notifi- notifications. Like it seems every week about something that's happened because of this to someone like I went to high school with. So it really hits home for me. 
Uh, with all that said, given not that just you're you know you're a great wrestler, we all we we a lot of us have seen your work and really appreciate That's it. That's debatable. Well, <laughs> I like his work. I appreciate it. Uh, but I'm what a, you, I'm a I'm a good hand. Let's call yeah. it. Let's call <laughs> well, it. I, I didn't want to use that term because I you know I'm not one. I'm not in the club. I can't use that language with you guys. But uh, I just would like because of that uh, and your experience, what do you think your ideal role is in WWE? Because it seems like you have so much to offer, not only with the in-ring stuff, but backstage as well. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I want to headline WrestleMania. I want to be a world champ. That's always been the goal. That'll continue to be the goal. Um, but I, I, I think that as I get older and I can't, and maybe even not as I get older, maybe now, maybe I can help people out now. I think I can truly be... I don't want to say like a locker room leader because you you say that for the, the the top dogs, you know, that's Roman Reigns is the locker room leader. That dude is the man. I'm never going to take that spot from him. He's like, yeah, that if you ever want to see a locker room leader, that's the dude to, to emulate. But truthfully, like maybe I can just be someone that other guys come to talk to. Maybe I can go to NXT and be a coach or, you know, anything. I just, Honestly, I, I, I just like giving back at this point in my life. And maybe I'll get over it, but I don't think I will because I feel like I was given a second chance at life. And my wife saved me. My daughter saved me. And I say it in my videos all the time. I, with, the, with the drugs I was doing at the, and the amount I was doing, I should be dead. And I'm not. So I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that. That's uh, I again. I really appreciate your attitude. Really appreciate your message. When you talk about second chances, Mike, after you come back, it's you know you end up on two hundred five live. What uh, what did you think about your time there? How did you uh, how did you how did you like that experience? I I absolutely love two hundred five um, because all the guys on that roster are so underrated. Like it's ridiculous having matches with like Tazawa and Tony Neath and Jack Gallagher. Um, there's there these guys were top indie guys and they're 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 so good but the cool part about 205 and Keenan can probably attest to this having been to WWE on Raw and SmackDown you get like five or six minute matches maybe if you're lucky yeah and so you can't really show what you can do and as a performer it's not really that exciting to go out and do a four or five minute match because you're kind of hamstrung for what you can do on 205 we were getting 17, 18, 20-minute matches. Like, it was just – it was awesome. So – and not only that, but I always used to tell the guys, we'd always, a lot of people would complain. They'd be like, yeah, but you're on – you're going on after SmackDown. So the crowd doesn't really care. And I was like, true, they don't care. But we're essentially playing with house money because if we go out there and the crowd's quiet, we can just come to the back and be like, oh, the crowd sucks. But if we go out there – and the crowd, which many times it did, the crowd get it gets into it. They start chanting, "This is awesome!" and keep go- like. Then you get to come back and you'd be like, "Look, I just made that dead crowd stand on their feet. I'm the best. I'm I'm Ric Flair for crying out loud, you know? Like, so it's it's just a really cool experience. Yeah, and but I loved it. To that point, Mike, you know, I always say to these guys, you know, whenever we do this show and you know something like that comes up, talking about the crowd, especially at TVs, like, yeah, that crowd might be quiet by the because you. You're following SmackDown. I mean, that's not an easy show to follow. But when right. you go when you go out there, regardless of the crowd reaction, regardless if they're up, down, left, right, center, whatever they're doing, the real audience that you're working for is on the other side of the camera. There may be some thousands of people in the arena, but there's millions on the other side of the lens that you're working for. Yeah, 100%. And you can even tell that. Even I mean, I've done Raw or SmackDown tapings where, you know, the crowd's just completely dead, and you just have to keep, even if you're on Raw or SmackDown, you just have to keep pushing through because you know the end game 
are the people watching at home. Like there's what, maybe 10,000 people watching you in the arena, but sure. you know, at the end of the day, USA or Fox is bringing in 3 million, 2 million viewers. So without a doubt, focused, yeah, you're even if you're just on the network, I mean, the network I think has like one or 2 million subscribers. So you're focused on those people. And not only that, but if you're on the network, that means that thing's saved on there for life. People yeah. can go back and see that for life. That's your, that's your highlight reel right there. You gotta, you gotta take a little bit of pride in that too. It's kind of funny. I, uh, I, you and I have talked, you know, uh, off air and, uh, over, over a period of time here. And I haven't taken very many wrestling bookings in, in quite a while. Uh, but I did just get offered uh, a show here in Philadelphia coming up in, in February. And I found this hilarious. The promoter asked if I had, if I had a tape or a match, I can send them. So I sent him a link to the WWE network. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and that's, but like you, like you said, that's always there. You always have that, Mike. And uh, you know, based on some of the work you did at 205 Live, whether the crowd was dead or not, everyone you know saw that match with Drake Maverick. Everyone saw that right. match with Tozawa. Suddenly, you're back up on the main roster. And it's in the 24-7 uh, title hunt. But some of that stuff, I don't care what anyone says, was great. Uh, you pinning Maria at the OBGYN, that was <laughs> right, gold. Right. That was gold. Right. Uh, well, did you have fun with the 24-7 title? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, got, I kept getting text messages and, and direct messages when I was doing that whole storyline where people were like, what, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> you're looking like an idiot. You're looking, you know, they're making you look weak. And I, I look at them and I'm like, we're I'm going to use this word, and I'm sure the internet's going to kill me. We're a fake TV show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we are make believe. Like at the end of the day, my wife is not really yelling at me. At the end of the day, if I shoot you off the rope, you're not running back. You're not bouncing back. Like, can we just get over the fact that we are playing a role on television? We are actors. We are doing our own stunts, but we are actors. And I'm like, I'm having fun because it, people are paying attention. People are like they're either they're cringy or they think it's funny or they just flat out hate it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, can we just have fun and pretend that like this isn't real life because it's not? That's I really appreciate that, Mike. Because uh, there's this line I always remember. Uh, uh, it's in Mick Foley's I think second book, and he's talking about what he wanted to call his first book, and it was back and forth between him and the publisher. And he says, if they pay me enough money. I will, I will call this thing the tale of a fat guy in tights pretending to fight. And I always look at that, like, the way you attacked the 24 set and that whole role and the thing with Maria where it was whatever that storyline was, like, it, it worked. And I always say it's not the fault of the comedy act that the, the rest of the show maybe people didn't like. Like, that stuff right. was funny. It doesn't, right. like, I'm sorry that you don't like the main event, so it's like, oh, and this was bad, too. No, it wasn't. It was funny. We're, we're just, we're at a time in wrestling, and I've, since I've kind of taken a step out of the bubble the last uh, month or so, like there's just so much negativity in this industry that like, I don't, I, I really, I don't understand it. If you're going to watch it, watch it. If you don't like it, don't watch it. And it, it, it's perfectly fine to be like, I don't like what they're doing. Okay. I'm going to change the channel. There's plenty to do on Monday night. There's plenty to do on Friday night. You don't have to watch it. And so I feel like that negativity regardless of what happens, even when the show's good, we're kind of at a point in wrestling where they'll just try to find something just because that's the trend. 
Oh, without a doubt. And that's I, the tribalism of like people. And we're going to talk a little about the expansion of the entire wrestling world over the last, you know, couple of years, couple of months, really. But like the tribal. Oh, oh, AEW sucks. They're all little. Oh, WWE sucks. The storytelling's terrible. Like, just watch what you like. I don't understand. There are so many freaking options. There's an entire internet full of everything. If you don't like it, like they're doing studio wrestling on YouTube. Watch yeah. that if you don't like. It, it really is that simple. <laughs> We're at a point in society where we can just pick up our phone that we call people and watch any television show that we want. There's no excuse to just, if you like something, enjoy it and enjoy the hell out of it. If you hate something, just stop watching. It's not, I don't, I don't like watching baseball that much. It puts me to sleep. I don't go and I'm like, oh God, baseball again. There's where, where's the pitch count? Where's, where, why aren't they? I'm like, no, I just don't watch it. Cool. More power to you if you like it. I really don't care. I'm going to go watch football. I enjoy watching football. I don't. I, I just. It blows my mind. Let's jump into some current day uh, wrestling industry, Mike. We did talk a few minutes ago about. Wow, the, for the first time in a long time, this industry is in a crazy place. That you know, a year ago there was still really only one place to work. Now there's like seven. You know, you mentioned you're 34 years old. I'm 34 years old. We're the same age. The last time we saw something like this was in the Attitude Era. Are we on the verge, in your opinion, or maybe already in one of another boom period in this industry? Oh, I, I think we're already in one, 100%. I just, I went to uh, an indie show on Sunday night, XWA Wrestling, and, and I was just talking to the guys there, and I just kept telling them, like, you guys are in such a good spot right now. Not only because there's half a million places you can go to work and make a living, but we're in a boom period because you can Set your own story, like we were talking about before, with social media. The, po- the the ability to reach people all over this friggin' world and let them know who you are before you even make it to TV is is astronomical. Like you can become a celebrity on your social media as a professional wrestler with never signing to a major wrestling company, and you're starting to see that starting to play where guys might have more leverage or anything because they're like, well, hell, I'm over on social media. I already have a fan following. If you want my fan following, then you got to bring me in on my terms, you know? So I keep telling these guys, you guys are in a prime position. And that's one of the things I talk about at like these, uh, when I do motivational speaking, I'm a big uh, Gary V Mark. And I always talk about like how you can brand yourself before you even get to an impact or a ring of honor or a WWE or an AEW. And you can essentially set your own story, set who you want to be. Before you get there, I kind of feel like the days of, well, we'll we'll make you what we want to make you. I feel like they're kind of going away because guys can just get themselves over before they get anywhere. Let's stick with that just for a second, Mike, because uh, social media is not just in wrestling, but really, really in the world today. It is it, it is so important. It's the greatest free form of advertising you're ever going to get. But when I met you back in 2006, uh, the business was different. It's even different than when it was five years ago, that it was five years ago. And I do think a lot of that has to do with the way social media is being used in the industry. Uh, and guys, if you're not following Mike on Twitter, at Real Mike Bennett, I've stated many times that when I came into the WWE system, Mike, it was where I really learned how to work and I understood the business. I was under, uh, under Al Snow's learning tree. I knew how to get sympathy on a baby face, heat on a heel, tell a good story. Three points to really getting over with a crowd and you know, really accomplishing what you need to when you're out there. And social media and Twitter in general, I believe, has made it harder for these points to properly be accomplished. In your opinion, what is the role of uh, social media in today's wrestling world? Well, I think 
Uh, I think I might have a little bit of a different opinion than a lot of people on this, uh, because like we talked about before, where I truly believe that we need to start looking at this industry as like uh, Hollywood or acting or a TV show and stop making it like the guys on social media are the guys you're watching on television. Like I, I, I just, I don't get it because if Brad Pitt is playing a character in a movie, he's not going on at Brad, at real Brad Pitt on his Twitter and being that character. No, he's going and he's being Brad Pitt and he's tweeting, go see my movie, go do this. Here's a picture of my daughter. Here's a picture of me eating my food. And you know that if Brad Pitt's playing a murderer on a movie, he's not really a murderer in real life. So I don't understand why we still try to, we still try to toe that line in wrestling. People know, uh, like, people know I didn't pin my wife at the OBGYN. They get that, right? Like, we understand <laughs> that. Do we understand that? And so I just think the the industry is evolving. It's and, still real to me, damn it, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Very real. <laughs> and I just think I think I think that. And I, I tell younger guys this. I, I truly believe, and I could be wrong. And then maybe in ten years, people will be like, "You were wrong. You're an idiot, Mike." And I'll be like, "Cool, I'll own it." But I truly believe that that's the way the industry is trending, where it's like, let's stop pretending that, you know, the Undertaker's really dead because he's not. <laughs> but on TV, you can suspend your belief because he's really good at his job. So, so to that point, um, does it make it harder for a heel or babyface to get sympathy or get heat? Or are we getting away from heel and babyfaces altogether? I, I don't think it's – I think if you're good, you're good. And again, yeah. I'll use I'll – use the movie and the movie analogy again. I've watched TV shows and movies where I start getting heated at the bad guy because they're really good at mm-hmm. it, and the story they're telling is really captivating. And I just think it's not so much that oh, we don't respect the business because it's not kayfabe anymore. I just I look in and I tell guys we just have to get better. We just suck. Let's get better at it. And that's I always like in the perfect world to me, just as a you know the mark that I am. If we could just go back 20 years and restore the curtain, I would love it. But since that's over, like we just kind of have to embrace what we are. But I want to jump back now and just ask, like, uh, were you always a fan? Yes, I've always been a wrestling fan. From about the time I was five, I kind of uh, I started watching when I was five. Maybe for like two or three years, kind of fell out of love with it. But then when the Attitude Era hit, I was like 12. And I was screwed from that point on. I was so invested in professional wrestling that, like, I, I just couldn't put it down. I loved every minute of it. That's how I was uh, a lot. I'm a little young. I'm like three years younger than you guys. We're all basically coming of age in the uh, in the same time as wrestling fans. But what inspired you to make the jump from "Hey, I love watching this" to "I am going to do this"? Uh, Mick Foley, honestly, which is kind of cool because I've actually. Uh, one of the cool things about working for WWE is I've got to sit and talk to the people that I admire and I looked up to and still do to this day. But I was uh, Worcester Centrum Center, uh, Worcester Centrum Center, 1999, I think. I was there when Mick Foley won the title for the first time, and uh, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. I still watch that clip when he won, and it still gives me goosebumps. But from that day, I remember driving home with my dad. And I was like, I'm going to be a wrestler. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. No, no matter. You know, kind of blowing me off. But that moment right there hooked me, and I never looked back. I always say the same thing, man. It's so funny, like, working for WWE. Some of my childhood heroes became some of my best friends to this yeah. day. You know, I looked up to the Hardy Boys, and I just talked to Matt Hardy yesterday. Like, it's, it's still 
It's still it's wild. It's still crazy. Right. It's still real crazy to think about. Uh, I want to take a jump into Ring of Honor here for a second, Mike. You got, you sure. came in doing some single stuff, and it what? But it, you know, for me, it wasn't really until uh, yourself, Maria, and Taven formed the Kingdom, where I really believe. Uh, you found your footing there as a top guy. Talk to me a little bit, because I know what it means to you. Talk to me a little bit about what made the kingdom so special. You know what it was? It was honestly, it was me and Taven and Keenan. You know this because we're, we're buddies, but me and Taven are inseparable. Like, we're best friends in real life. And, and so it was just this idea that we both felt at Ring of Honor we had been overlooked, underappreciated. And instead of complaining about it, we asked if we could form a team. And they said, yeah. And so we kind of took this... We don't really care attitude, but we, the secret is we actually cared way too much. And, and we just kind of let that parlay into our work. And you, Kev, you know me and Taven, we're goofy at heart. And so that's kind of how it all just came into play. We're yeah, like, we're goofy is go all hell these two, man. Yeah, I'm like, we're just going to go out there and do what we do. Like, just be us. And with Maria guiding the ship is like, you know, the go-getter. And she's, she, she's a badass, man. She... Uh, I just felt like it was this perfect combination, and it just it just clicked because we were friends. We had the same viewpoints on wrestling. We had the same ideologies on life and all this stuff. So, you know, we could have a match, hop in the car, and the three of us would drive together. And then that kind of made its way into New Japan. So then we got even closer mm-hmm. because we were traveling Japan together, which is like if you've never been, it's kind of a, like a different planet. So we had to rely on each other while we were over there. And we just got even closer and even closer. And, like, I, I, I tell guys this all the time. You learn so much in the ring, but, like, a true professional learns most of it on the car rides to the next town. And, like, that's, that's why we click so well. And, and I just think because we were best friends in real life, it just kind of came out on screen, you know? Bill, I got to tell you, old Maria, man, she, she keeps these boys in line. She keeps me in line, and I don't even see her that often. That's I love everyone in line. <laughs> I love you guys talking about Ring of Honor, because that 25th, it was, uh, Mike, it was, I think, May of 15. Uh, it was uh, War of the Worlds in Philly, and it was you, Taven, and Cole versus Styles and the Bucks. And to just oh, think yeah. about, like, four years later, where all of you are, it's freaking incredible. And that was like one of the coolest matches I ever saw live. That made me a Mike Bennett fan, Mike Canellis, whatever. Uh, I, I, you know, we're going to put whatever over you want to call it. Yeah, we're going to put over yeah. your WWE name, but that's what made me a Mike Bennett fan there. And that's when, like, when you went to Impact, that's when I, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch Impact because Mike Bennett, I saw him on that card and it was awesome. I'm going to watch Impact now. Yeah, it's crazy to think. I was just thinking about this too that roster at one point that was. Uh, that was God, what a roster, huh, man? It, it, it blows my mind. It was me and Taven and Cole and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, the Young Bucks, Robert AJ Strong, Styles, Roderick Strong, Jay Lethal. Like my mind just keeps going. Tommaso Ciampa. At one point, yeah, Tommaso Ciampa, El Generic. I'm like, these guys were all in one company. Kevin at Owens. One time. It's wild, dude. Like and now, th- 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 that that era of Ring of Honor, I think, is, is the is the wrestling is, industry. It's the wrestling industry now. It changed the wrestling industry, and With, it's so cool to be a part of that. Without a doubt. We're going to jump in a little impact here in just uh, in just a couple minutes. But when you look back at the body of work in Ring of Honor, because it, it really was impressive, man, is there anything that you would have done differently or didn't get to do that you thought the fans would have found cool? Uh, I would have done less drugs. I know that much. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, again, I, w- I wish I had more of a singles run because I think that would have been fun. Um, but... In all honesty, I look back and I like I'm just so fond of that memory that it's really hard for me to be like, well, if I did this, I could have done that, or it, it's it's just too difficult because I got a singles run in 
and impact, which was cool and which was fun. So like, again, I don't really regret anything and I don't really look back and say like, Oh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. There's, there's no point, you know? Couple, uh, a couple more here for you, bud. Uh, you know, December 2015, I'm coming into Ring of Honor. You're leaving Ring of Honor pretty much <laughs> right away. I remember you told me a final battle here in Philadelphia you were leaving, and I made fun of you because it took me so long to get there, and you're already leaving me. But off to Impact Wrestling you went. Take me behind the scenes here. Peel, uh, peel the curtain back. How did the Impact deal come about, and what made you say, okay, this is the right move. I'm leaving Ring of Honor and going to Impact. It was honestly just kind of uh, contract negotiations. Uh, Impact was offering us a little bit more money than Ring of Honor. There was no hard feelings. Again, I left. I wanted to stay at Ring of Honor, but I viewed myself a certain way. They viewed me one way, and I was perfectly cool with that. I, we were like, okay. And we went to uh, Lagana. David Lagana was writing over there, and he was a big fan of me and Marie, and he really wanted to bring us over. And plus, they were offering us, offering me the opportunity to have this singles run. And they were like, we really want you to be a top player in Ring of Honor. And at the time, I didn't think, uh, or sorry, a top player in Impact. And at the time, that wasn't really how Ring of Honor viewed me. And again, I know somehow someone's going to twist this, but I, I, it's, not a ba- it's not a negative. That's not a bad thing. A company views you one way at that time. That's fine. It's up to you to say, I'm going to prove you wrong. And if you prove them wrong, you go back and you say, see? And then they say, hey, we want to bring you back or cool. Like, I just, I don't understand. We constantly like, oh, well, screw Ring of Honor for holding this person back. No, it, it's just it's just business. That's how you do business. And so I had the opportunity to go be a, a main event player over at Impact. So I took it and I loved it. I got to work with EC3 and Matt and Matt Hardy and Tyrus and all these guys that were over there. So like, I, it was just a better opportunity at that time. So what was, uh, how did you enjoy your time with Impact? Because we hear so many, like I read so many things about Impact. Like talk about your time there. Was it uh, an enjoyable experience for you? Uh, how do you think uh, that went, that run in, uh, in Impact? From a uh, performer, it was a very enjoyable experience. Um, as a businessman and trying to make money, it was a <laughs> headache. And I think everyone knows all the stories. They were all true. And like, I'm so glad that they're doing better now and like, they're, they're being run better. Um, but, like, as far as the talent went and as far as, like, David Lagana writing the stories and uh, John Gaborik and uh, Billy Corgan, I love all those guys. They, they gave me good stories. They gave me a great storyline with EC3. I lo- we'd never touched before. and We just kind of had this chemistry that I wish we could continue to this day. Um, but it's just I, I honestly loved it. Um, but yes, from a business standpoint, it was a headache, but from a, uh, like a performance standpoint, I thought it was one of the best things for my career. You know, it's crazy. Impact had some real, real bad times of uncertainty, really bad time periods of uncertainty where we didn't know if the company was necessarily going to make it. Mike, while you were there, I think it was the worst period, uh, where there was a, like a very real opportunity or a very real chance, I should say, that this thing wasn't going to come out, um, you know, come out of this thing alive. Now, you know, you touched on it a couple seconds ago, uh, obviously the company now being ran by Anthem and Scott Demore and Don Callis. Do you, do you kind of like the way that these guys have come along and righted a lot of the wrongs that were made in the Dixie era and, and kind of made these guys into a competitor in the industry again? Yeah, you know, and just real quick to touch on what you said, yeah, there was constantly fear that the show wasn't going to work or that it wasn't going to happen. But I believe, and maybe because just because I was there, but I believe from a uh, 
content standpoint and like a, a storytelling standpoint, I thought it was the best work that TNA ever did because you had me ending EC3 streaks. You that was the Bobby Lashley and his little group there. You had uh, Aaron Stevens and Rockstar Spud doing their stuff together, and then you had the broken Matt Hardy where it made it's like that's where it came to life with the delete and everything. So that's what gave me a rebirth of my career. What are you kidding me? Yeah, like honestly, so. To me, it's like, I think that's what was so frustrating is we were, and Eli Drake, you know. Ah, he's so good. Yeah. That's when he started becoming Eli Drake, you know, and it was like, and Drew McIntyre, like, I just keep thinking of these guys that were there, and Eddie Edwards, and like, I honestly think that. Ah, Leave Eddie Edwards out of that conversation. Okay, yeah, he sucks. No, he's honestly, I tell people to this day, he's the best. Uh, naturally gifted wrestler I've ever been in the ring with. I hope um, he never hears this, but it's actually <laughs> disgusting how good that guy is. It, like it, it makes me jealous. Uh, I am disgusted by it. I loved when I would, whenever I would be in the ring with him. He's it's he just oozes talent. It's unbelievable. It, yeah, it's ridiculous. And even like Moose, Moose was there too, and he's re- like yeah. So like from a from a content standpoint, I felt like at that time we were doing the best work, even though business wise it was kind of like up in the air. But what they're doing now, I think, is a great framework. They're bringing in all these young, hungry indie guys. They're saying, we can only pay you this amount of money, but what we'll give you is a platform. Mm-hmm. And I wish that was around when I was younger, you know, because that's – and I just – when I was saying I did – I was at the XWA show, and that was the first time I met uh, Ace Austin. Mm. I think he's fantastic. Current X Division champion. Yeah, and I was just talking to him, and, and like, I, I know who he is because of Impact. And – I was like, dude, you're in a perfect position right now. He told me, he was like, he's been wrestling four years. He was 22 years old. I was like, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm like, you're, you could, you're, you're thriving right now in the best time to be a professional wrestler with a company that's doing it the right way. Just kind of like, we're not going to promise you guys millions of dollars. We'll just promise you an opportunity. And I think that's just the way to do it. And I think that's awesome. Uh, Mike, before we before we wrap up here, we're starting to peel back the layers on this show of Kevin Keenan. He tells us he knows you know you and so many other superstars, and we're like, there's uh-huh. no way these people like you. They're, it's impossible. I work with you, bud. They don't like me. They love me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if can you can you just give us one like Kevin Keenan story just for to get it on the record? Take it oh. easy, brother. Oh God. You know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tell the story, and it's not really that uh, controversial. But the picture that he put up to advertise <laughs> that uh, I was going to be here, we were doing a show for uh, Northeast Wrestling. Right, yeah, Mike O'Brien. North, yeah, and uh, Shane Helms was there, and he was bringing his WCW Cruiserweight Championship around for signings and everything. And when he went out, me and Keenan, Keenan came over and he's like, quick, just as a rib, let's take a picture because he keeps putting over this title like it's the greatest thing ever. So he come over, we take a picture, we put it back, and don't say anything. And all we did was put it up online. And then Helms finally called and was like, you sons of bitches. Yeah, he, he loved it. He popped for it huge. Yeah, huge pop. So yeah. it's just, you know, that was, and plus now Helms works at WWE, and mm-hmm. I love that guy to death too. So Yeah, we, we've had a ton of good times, a ton of good matches. I always loved working with Mike. was extremely happy. Uh when he was heading up to WWE, I remember uh, just seeing him at WrestleCon in Orlando, and I believe I was one of the only ones that kind of knew he was going to WWE. He told me yeah. he was going, and uh, I, I was I was just extremely, extremely happy. Somebody with this type of talent really needs to be on that type of platform. Having said that, Mike, uh, last one here. When this is all said and done for you, and you take a look back at the body of work you created, not, and I mean all of it, 
What are you most proud of? Uh, oh, God. You know, as corny as it sounds, I'm most proud of the fact that when I was 15 years old, I said to my mom and dad, I'm going to be a pro wrestler, and it's going to be my career. And I specifically said I'm going to work for WWE. And at the end of the day, through determination, hard work, motivation, whatever you want to call it, and probably just pure stubbornness, I achieved that goal. And that's something I think I can be proud of. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.